thank you for coming to join with us. We're in uh, the story of Luke, and we want to just pick that up and keep going with that just now. We've said already, haven't we? We've been reminded, um, Luke, the way that Luke writes, he's not keeping a diary of Jesus' life. He didn't follow him around, writing down everything that he said. That's not, that wasn't his practice. He writes an ordered account. He collates stuff together. He puts stories together to make arguments. Um, some of the subjects that we're going to look at are covered in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, chapter 6, and with a bit more weight and a bit more academic sense, the Apostle Paul covers some of these issues more directly. Luke, very cleverly and subtly, puts a few stories together to get us thinking. What is he getting us to think about? I don't know if you noticed in the text. I don't know if you could pop the text up. That would be really awesome if you could have the text up. There's a I think a theme that runs through those couple of stories. Luke is trying to get us to think about something. So I'll spell them out for you. But I think, I think Luke would perhaps rather I didn't spell them out. I think Luke would rather you puzzled over them and figured them out for yourself. I think he'd actually rather you read right through to the end of his book. But I'm going to spell them out. This is, this is what he's saying. There's the parable of the wine, the new wine and the new patch the two garments. And what I want to be going through your mind is, right, what's, what's that about? Remember when Cantona did his little, do you remember that? Cantona did his little anecdote about the seagulls that follow the trawler and everyone were puzzling over it for weeks and weeks after. I think Luke uses a bit of a, a technique that he gets us to, to, to have things going through our heads. The new way to practice the Sabbath is the next story. There are two accounts of what goes on on the Sabbath, and Jesus deals with it in a new way. There's a new way to perceive Israel, to think on God's people. Jesus goes out and names the 12. I think it's really interesting that Luke puts this story where he does. Jesus goes out and names the 12. There is a new people. Jesus picks a new team. And then finally, we don't, we don't get into the way of Jesus' sermon on the plane, we, we cut that short. We just got the, the opening part of the sermon. Sometimes with Jesus' sermons are great. You don't have to get to the end. They're amazing sermons. We're going to hear the start of that, but it's a new way to live, a new way to perceive blessings. Luke couples these stories together. So I want us to read that first parable out together. I don't know, you could skip that back a shot if you don't mind, Jono. And I want you to, to, I don't mind that there's a pregnant pause. I'm happy to look awkward at the front. I want you to try and puzzle it out. I think that's what, when the rabbis gave these parables, when Jesus gave these parables, he wants us to try and puzzle out what it's about. I think, I think actually there are times when, when Jesus, when he gave these parables, he's quite happy that you go away scratching your head. He's happy that you go back after he's finished speaking, trying to puzzle it out. There were times when he gave parables when people were all over him, and they knew exactly what he was saying, but there were times as well when you'd scratch your head and think, what is he saying? I want us to read through this together and think, well, what is he saying? Because I think Luke here uses a literary technique. He takes one of Jesus' parables, and he shoves it in, and he's, what he's saying to us is, all right, I want this to rumble through your mind for the next few chapters. Because when I, when I read it through, I read this parable through. I kind of thought, oh, yeah, I know what that's about. And then I read on, and it began to, I don't know, I, I dismissed it at first, and then, I, and then I came back to it. I thought, oh, what's, what's he saying there? What does he mean in there? Let's read it through together. He told them this parable. Excuse me. No one tears a piece out of an old garment to patch an old one. 
Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. So I read that through, and I went, straight, I went straight past it. I went on to the next story, and the next story, and the next story. But what does he mean? Firstly, there's this, this, this reality in the first part of the story. Have a look a bit on the text. There's two jackets. I think that's, we can read that into the story. There's two jackets. There's an old jacket that's got a patch in it, and it's old, and it's worn out. And there's a new jacket that's new. And Jesus is saying, you wouldn't cut a patch out of the old jacket, stick it on the new one. It just doesn't, doesn't make any sense. It's not logical. You've got a new jacket. Your new jacket's perfect. Don't cut, your, don't cut the new jacket up to patch up the old jacket. There might be some of you out there thinking, I'm happy to patch up an old jacket. But Jesus is saying different. Jesus is saying, you've got a new jacket. It's perfect jacket. The second story is about the wineskins. He says, you wouldn't put new wine into old wineskins. In these days, they used to keep their wine in goat skins, which is enough, I think, to send you sober, if you know what I mean. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? Can you imagine when the wine's going round at the do's? And you think, I'm good. I'm good for wine. Thank you. I, don't, I know where it's been, and I don't need it right now. And what, what you would do is you'd pour the new wine into the wineskins, and the wineskins, as the, as the wine would ferment, it would get bigger and bigger, and it would be full to bursting. And Jesus is saying, you can't take an old wineskin like that and put new wine in it. It's just going to burst open. So we've got this setting, haven't we? Jesus, Jesus and Luke, through Jesus' story, is saying that something new is happening. And it's not incompatible with the old, but it's new and it's better. And that's the seed that goes through the back of our minds. I don't know if, if you've had that thing happen to you. And I'm looking around the room and I know there are people that this has happened to where you've, where you've had your phone and your phone's broken and you've had to go back and use an old phone. I was out with somebody just the other week and they had, this happened to them and they were using their old phone and they were getting so stressed. This, I'm out with this person. I thought he was going to have a nervous breakdown. He's saying to me, I can't I can't send emojis. It's got no emojis. What will I do? How will I show people that I like something? How can I represent joy in a text? And I'm thinking, ring them up, speak to them, get on the phone or go and see them. And he's really frustrated and actually really angry. And then his mobile phone went off and it was an awkward old ringtone. How quickly do ringtones date? And he was, just, he was in a cafe and he was just really embarrassed. I thought, this is ridiculous. But technology kind of jumps on and we look back to the old tech that we've used, and it almost seems superfluous, doesn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. My little girl came to me the other day, Kira, with the remote control, and she said, Dad, it's broken. The TV's broken. And, and, and I looked at it, and she just brought the remote control for me. And she said, Dad, it's broken. I'm so annoyed that it's broken. And I said, it's not broken. I said, you can get up and walk to the television and just switch it over. And she, and she sort of, with her eyes, said to me, Dad, you don't understand. We've progressed as a society. Now we don't need any more to walk to the television. Look what we have. It's broken. You need to replace this. And I guess that's, that's kind of what she's verbalizing. It's just mad to go back when you've got the new. And Jesus is hinting at this. Jesus is saying, and Luke, I guess, plants this seed in the back of our minds, something new 
is happening. I bring something new, something amazing, something that's complete, something that's a fulfillment of the old. And you've got these thoughts in the back of your mind. And this seed Luke plants is a really helpful seed to have. As we make the way through the gospel, as we, as we see Jesus over and over again, meet the old way and confront it. And what happens next in the story? It's the next little bit. If you could just skip on to the next part of the story. With all this going on in our minds, we, the old meets the new. Probably for the first time, really, in Luke's gospel, Jesus, the new way, meets the old. So this seed is sort of permeating in our heads. What's the old? What's the new? What does it matter? And then Jesus meets the old way. Think of that. What is the old way? What is the new way? One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain rub them in their hands and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So the old way comes together with the new way. So I don't think Luke would want me to do this. I don't think he'd want me to fill in the gaps. I think he wants you to keep reading. I think Luke might even be annoyed that there's footnotes in the Bible, the way that he tells his story and crafts his story together. But I'm going to I'm going to give you the heads up anyway. The old way is the way that people practiced obedience to God under the promises of the old covenant, promises between God and the people. So think about things like um, the way that they offered sacrifices and the way that they, they ate special types of food. Jesus is saying this is the old way and the new way has come. Another thing Jesus was annoyed about was the fact that the old way had gone wrong. The heart had gone out of the law. Isaiah used this phrase, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What God's people had done was lose the heart of the law. They were practicing it, and I want to give you three fairly extreme examples, and they're extreme examples because I want you to remember, and I want you to have this picture in your head. So sometimes they would get around the law um, using the loopholes, so they'd keep the law Thanks, Andy. They keep the law on a technicality, but they would, it would just be on a technicality. The heart of it had gone. There was a rule about the Sabbath, and you need to rest on the Sabbath. That's part of the Sabbath law. And it was kind of added to by God's people when they said, what we're going to do is we're not going to walk more than a Sabbath day's journey on the Sabbath. That's how we're going to keep the Sabbath. But people got around this, and this is, this is bonkers, by taking items from their home and place, what, what, a, what a guy would do is he'd get items from their home, he'd send out his slave or his minion or whatever it was ahead of him, and he'd place items from their home along the road, sort of claiming temporary residence as he went. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But, but he would do this so that he could say, I'm still technically within my home. But kind of just totally missing the spirit of what the Sabbath is about. So on a technicality, yes, maybe you're not walking more than a Sabbath day's journey, but you're really... Really missing the point. Another bunch of guys, and these, I think these guys are brilliant. What they used to do to avoid adultery, to avoid lust, they're a little sect almost. You'd, I guess you'd imagine them as a sect. Is they wouldn't even look at women. And they became famous for the bruises on their heads as they walked around. So they would walk around like this all the time and keep bumping into, bumping into things. Just they wouldn't look at women at all. They'd kind of ring fence the law. And I don't, I don't think actually that Jesus gets really angry that people ring fence the law. 
but it's just when they miss the spirit of the law. And that's kind of what's happening here in the cornfields. There's a bunch of Pharisees come together and see Jesus, and they've really missed the spirit of the law. Jesus would say, you give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the greater aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And that's what's happening here. These people have been really pernickety. Is that a word that we still use? That's a word that my mum <laughs> would use. They've been really pernickety about some finer aspects of the law, but they've completely missed the heart of God's law. Jesus sees that his disciples were hungry, and he feeds them. He responds to human need on the Sabbath. Jesus answers them, have you never read what David did? And when he ate and his companions were hungry, he entered the house of God, taking the consecrated bread. He ate what was lawful for priests to eat, and he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, and this is a kind of statement that blows us all away, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Something new is happening. Jesus, he says, it might be your kind of Sabbath to be pernickety and to see men go hungry, but that's not my kind of Sabbath. And then Luke very cleverly takes us, it almost like cranks it up a notch. There's that story. So the new thing's in your mind. The new direction is in your mind. And then he takes us to a really specific scene. I think if he was a film director, he would, he would kind of, I don't, know, I don't know the terms for films, but he would draw us into this moment. And he does, he draws us in to a moment, and he draws us into a question. Can you spot the question in the text? As Luke narrates, all of our attention moves to one moment. The Pharisees are fixed. Their eyes are fixed on Jesus. A man with a withered hand has walked into the room, and they are ready again to jump on Jesus. They are ready again to point the finger on him, at him for working on the Sabbath. And Luke draws us right in really cleverly to this one, this one question that Jesus says. And Jesus, I guess, does it himself. Jesus gets the man up, the man with the withered hand, and he says, right, you can come to the front. I want everybody to see this on the Sabbath. Religious space, lots of technically religious things to be observed, lots of technical etiquette to be observed, angry Pharisees ready to jump on Jesus. Jesus gets the man to the front, and he says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to destroy it. He may as well have said, what's God like? What do you think God's like? This is one of those rare windows in the Bible where a verse just gives you a really great insight into the character of God. And we can, we can see something of his character in this, in this circumstance, in the temple, all this religiosity. And yet God, through Jesus, reaches out a hand. He sees a man who needs help. And Jesus helps him. Jesus heals him. I don't know what you think about God today. I don't know what your position is on him. Maybe, maybe you don't believe there is one. Maybe you've been coming to church for ages and you think to yourself, I'm not really sure I know much about him. Maybe you'd say I'm a Christian and there's lots of parts of his character that remains unknown to me. I want you to dwell on this scene for a minute. I want you to look through this lens that Luke provides for us and see a God in the face of all of man's traditions wants to help. God has a heart to help humanity. I want you to be certain of that. If you don't know anything about God, if, you are, if you've become cynical, if you've been offended by Christians, 
if you've almost given up on God at points in your life, I want you to be certain through this window in this verse that God is a God whose heart is to help humanity. What will we do with that? Jesus begins to teach them the heart of the law. As he explains it, he fulfills it in front of them. And I guess this, 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 the heart of the law is, though there are technicalities of not working and not doing certain things on the Sabbath, Jesus, in revealing the law, says that you are really majoring on the minors. Missing the heart of the law is, is trusting in God, trusting in his provision. Really, not, it's not just about not doing stuff. It's about getting to know God and trust him. And Jesus begins to, to show this to the people. So he, he shows when David was hungry, he went and ate sacred bread. And he, he says, it may be your kind of Sabbath to let men grow hungry in the heat of the day, to leave men sick and disabled, but it's not mine. That's the old way. And there is a picture that gets clearer and clearer. Something new is happening. Something that the old will struggle to deal with. And this is, this is what the new looks like. It's not anymore just observance of a law. That's not going to cut it anymore. Jesus is showing them a new way. He said, now that I'm here, things are going to change a little bit. My law will be in your hearts. It will be in there. This changes things. Another new story. And perhaps uh, we miss this. And you read it and you think, is that a new story? This is just where Jesus picks the disciples, right? One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside. And I guess, let's just picture this from a Hebrew person's perspective, from one of God's people's perspectives. What, what is familiar about this? What have we seen before about this? One of those days, Jesus went to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples and he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is it's a familiar picture. Maybe it's not a familiar picture to us, but a prophet that spends all night on a mountainside, that comes down the mountainside in the morning, to present God's new way to the people. And not only that, Jesus has got hundreds of followers. There's loads of people following him. We read about that throughout the Gospels. There's loads of people following him, but how many people does he pick? He picks 12 people. Jesus is saying, and I guess if you're a Hebrew, you see the 12 tribes of Israel. You see Moses coming down from a mountain. These are all pictures that are fixed in your mind. Jesus comes down from the mountain and said, this is, this is the new team. This is my people starting again. So we've got all the new things. We've got the new Sabbath. We've got, we've got Luke planting this seed in our, in our minds that something new is happening. We've got Jesus confronting the law in a new way. And we've got a new people. There are just two points of application I want us to think about as we move through this. The way of Jesus, the new way of Jesus, is not the way of empty observance but of heartfelt relationship. The way of Jesus is not the way of empty observance, but of heartfelt relationship. The way of Jesus is not the way, secondly, the way of Jesus is not the way of self-preservation, but of self-sacrifice. It's not the way of self-preservation, but of self-sacrifice. So that's two points. Those are your take home. Those are the things that you've got to think about. 
the picture in the cornfields and the picture in the temple are representative of Jerusalem in a lot of ways. They just slipped into legalism. And I immediately look down my nose at these Pharisees and God's people and think, ah, yeah, you're hopeless. You slip into legalism. But it is something that we do. You do anything for long enough, be in a marriage for long enough, or do a job for long enough, or have a hobby for long enough, and it can easily, you can easily lose the heart of it. And you can just do it for the sake of doing it. And before you know it, you have become like one of these crazy Pharisees that walks around with his head like that, bumping into women. You just become legalistic. I think the new way of Jesus screams against that. It says, this is, not, this is not the way. How you've been carrying on for these thousand years, not listening to the prophets talking to you about this. This is not how we're going to go on. We're not going to be a legalistic bunch. Listen to what Jesus says before, before we get that. Prophet said, when the Messiah would come, he would write his word on their hearts. Jesus deals with the law in the Sermon on the Mount. And listen to his words and think about what we're saying about the law being in, in your hearts now. Regarding the law, Jesus says, Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said. And when he says you've heard it said, what he's saying is, that's what it says in the law. You've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, do not even get angry. Wow. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, don't even look at another woman lustfully. You've heard it said, don't break an oath made to God. I say, don't make any oaths at all. Do you see what Jesus is doing as he explains the old way? He takes something that you can observe, something that you can box tick and get away with, something that you can get away with and you, you don't murder somebody, you don't commit adultery. He takes these points and says, right, those are really obvious. You can do them. And he takes that law and he says, right, we're not, gonna, we're not just going to box tick anymore. I'm going to place this law deep within your heart. That's how you've got to think about that now. Don't just think about the fact that you've not got to murder somebody. <laughs> Who laughed then? Shame on you. Don't just think about the fact that you've not got to murder somebody. Think about the fact that God has placed this deep within your heart. So you wrestle with this, the law now, at a point of character, not a point of observance. This is how your character is shaped. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to change you from the inside out. You're not going to get away with just box ticking anymore. And Jesus had seen that the law had been practiced by outward observance and just trying to avoid consequences and he moves it right into our hearts. It ceases now to be something we do and it becomes something that we are. I don't do good works, therefore I am saved in Christ. Rather, because I'm in Christ, I do good works. It's the other way around. I have a friend who is a soldier. That's how he'd describe himself. And for a long time, there were a lot of things he had to do to be a soldier. He had to keep his hair cut short. He had to go out early in the morning for a run. He had to learn how to take a rifle to bits and put it back together again. This guy's 10 years out of the army now. And I see him in the playground. And he'll tell me that the best way to describe him would be to say that he's still a soldier. He thinks like a soldier. He knows how, how long it would take him to run into town. Exactly. He knows exactly the kind of nick his body's in. He knows how useful the guy with the leather jacket is over there. He knows what the weather means for the day. He spots danger a mile off. He's just remained a soldier. There was a point on his journey where he stopped trying to be one. He stopped doing things to be one, and he just became one. He just was a soldier. That is 
That is what Jesus is saying the new way is like. Challenging Israel's old way of box ticking and just paying heed to the law. And he's saying, now the law is going to be placed in your hearts. It's going to be about who you are. A little word of warning, I guess. Don't get into the habit of thinking you need to do good to legitimize your faith. Don't, don't get into that bad habit of thinking, right, I'm a Christian, so I should do good things. Just to, just to make sure I'm a Christian, just to legitimize it. Because down that road somewhere lies the pharisaical way, lies legalism, lies missing the point, lies missing the heart of God's law. Rather than do any of that, spend your time getting to know Jesus. Get on your knees, open your Bible up, whatever it takes, get to know Jesus. Place him as far as you can in there and worry less about doing the good works. The second point, the way of Jesus is not the way of self-preservation, but of self-sacrifice. Something I just want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about. Think about, think about the big journey of the Old Testament. Where was it headed? Where was home? What are all the stories about? All the stories that you can think of from your Sunday school days or that you've seen in the epic films that are on Channel 5 all the time, that, those sort of things. What is, the, what is the narrative of the Old Testament? Where are they heading? They're all heading towards Israel. That's where home is. All the fights, all the prophecy, all the necessity for good behavior, everything is headed towards being in Israel, occupying the land. And what does Jesus do? Jesus grabs a new team. He's picked 12 disciples. And what is the difference in these 12 disciples? Where are these 12 disciples headed? Where are we headed in the journey of Luke's gospel? Jesus takes 12 disciples and he says, I want you to leave your homes. I want you to leave your jobs. I want you to abandon your possessions and follow me. That is what, that is what happened when the rabbis came and said, I want you to follow me. It wasn't just, I want you to join me on Twitter and be amused by my odd anecdote along the way. It says, I want you to literally follow me. Literally, get up, leave your family, and follow me. The new way of Jesus was about following Christ, abandoning self, and following Christ. It was no longer a pattern of self-preservation. I think where we were headed has changed. Where are we headed now? Where are we going? I guess throughout Luke and Acts, we see the word, we see people leave homes and the word spreads through Judea, Samaria and into all the world. And I guess we're headed for heaven. What we do, what shapes us, what we live for is heaven. That's our focus. That's our new direction. And there's a lovely picture and I think that's a picture we'd like, I'd like us to, just to close with. As Jesus comes down off the mountain, he's got his new team, the new direction, the new way, 12 disciples waiting there. He starts to speak. He gives the sermon on the plain, and he's about to give a blessing, so to speak. And he's got this great multitude, all sorts of the finest kind of people. All, you know, I don't know how many a multitude is. I think thousands. Thousands and thousands of people there. But look what it says in the text. I don't know if you could skip on a, to the last one, Amy. That'd be grand. What does it say in the text? Who does Jesus speak to? I imagine these 12 um, leg-weary, journey, 
tired, traveler-looking men. Um, I don't know if you've, what you look like when you come back from a week's camping, that kind of look where your hair looks like nothing like it's ever looked like before. You smell horrific. These disciples had given up house and home. Their feet were sore. And they were probably, they probably had the look of men who'd abandoned everything. And maybe in the back of their minds, they were thinking, what's happening? What are we doing? Is this right? And Jesus begins to speak. And he looks, speaks to the multitude, but looks at the 12. And he said, you are blessed. You are blessed. You 12, you exhausted guys, you guys that have left everything. You guys that have abandoned your families and your wives are probably angry with you. You guys have dropped your fishing nets. You've dropped your occupations. You guys, the guys of all this multitude, have abandoned everything. You guys are blessed. The new way things have turned around. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of me, because of the Son of Man. You're the ones who are blessed. I just wanted to leave you with an encouragement. Don't know how your Christian journey is going. Don't know if you've come up against persecution. Don't know if you've got to the point where you're wondering why you're doing this, why you spend all your time at church, why you come on a Sunday, why you love people that would perhaps annoy you. Why do we do all this? Jesus would say to you, this is worth it. You're on your way home. You're on your way to heaven. You are greatly blessed because through this you will know me more and more. To know what it's like to have nothing and still trust him. To, know, to have faith that means you'll leave house and home. You are blessed. Luke teaches us there's a new way. There's been a a point of progress in the journey and there's no way back from it this old way of, of observance is gone Jesus has moved in here now and this is the reality this is the, this is the lesson to Theophilus this is what he's had to learn this is what was important for him to be certain about there's been a change of direction God's law now is no longer outwardly observed it's coming here and it's the same lesson for us that's the reality how do we keep Jesus in our hearts